Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. I started receiving death threats soon after Mike Brown was killed. I think that for a long time, I wanted Sean to do something, anything other than activism kind of work. That was one of the first times I even understood, even as somebody who studied the civil rights movement and the Black Power movement and, and understood that threats came to leaders who did this type of work, it still really took me by surprise that it got so ugly so quickly. Sean King has been advocating for justice as an outspoken Black Lives Matter activist since about 2014. If you don't follow him on Twitter, I should tell you that he's incredibly outspoken about his work there. He's beloved by some people, and he's hated by others. Amidst all of this, he's raising five children with his high school sweetheart, Ray. And even though Ray steadfastly supports Sean, she never exactly chose to be married to the movement. We have security outside of our house right now, and they're here 24-7 because of sometimes credible death threats that he receives, and that's stressful. You know, not being able to trust that my kids can freely go to the store or go to the park. For most of the past six years, the threats have been constant, and sometimes they're so regular and disturbing that we have to report them, and other times... Our struggle is just to figure out, are these threats designed just to intimidate us? Or are are these people serious and are we under a real threat of violence? Right. It only takes one person. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. I was 15, and Sean, you were 17, right, when we first met. And we were both in church 
in Lexington, Kentucky. And we met just so you first asked me for my number at the watch night service. And <laughs> for those who don't well, we know, met, we, we met long before that, though. Yeah. But watch night service is a tradition in the Baptist church, maybe other churches, actually not just Baptist. But it may, is it a particularly black thing? I don't know. Watch night services where you just you watch the new year come in and you're at church at midnight and there's like a church service. And then afterwards, there's normally a dinner or, or breakfast being served. And it's a really awesome time. That was the first time you asked me for my number. But you're right. We had met before then just seeing each other at church. And I'll, I'll let you tell the story of how you became immediately smitten with me. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know. That's where I didn't know that's where you were going. But and I saw this girl who seemed like she was running things. <laughs> she really was. She was like the, the Sunday school secretary, but not just for children, like for the whole Sunday school at the church. And I remember just thinking like to myself, who is this young girl that is running everything? She was super spunky and she always wore like creative hats and had a lot of style. She had just piqued my interest. But at that time, she and I both always kept a boyfriend and girlfriend. And, and so she was dating somebody and I was dating somebody. But I, I was pretty interested in her. It took me almost six months to kind of build up the nerve to to get her number. And then even. Yeah, you were very <laughs> slow moving. I was interested in you for really from the first moment that we started talking to each other. And Sean would show up at choir rehearsals and stuff for no good reason. He didn't sing. He wasn't in the choir. I was. But I guess he didn't have anything better to do with his time on a Thursday night. And so he would come and we would like chit chat. And even after you asked me for my number and I gave it to you, like it took you forever to, to ask me out. I think you were shy. I was slow and maybe I was a bit shy, but I think some of it was I had just grown to be like a super private person at that point in time. And so mm -hmm. I'd have to even go back in time and reimagine what I was thinking. But once we got started, we were super committed to each other and, and super into each other after that. We went on our first date. I was a sophomore in high school. Sean was a senior. And then he left to go to Morehouse College in Atlanta. And I was still stuck in Kentucky waiting to, to graduate high school. And then I would go to Atlanta to attend Spelman. We dated long distance for two years. And it will never not amaze me that we maintained a long distance relationship as 16 and 18 year olds. And he was in Atlanta, the city of like black excellence, surrounded by all these beautiful women and was still somehow interested in little old me back in Kentucky. But he was and we made it. And about two years into college, actually, we got married because the baby came first, actually. <laughs> our oldest birth child, Kendi, she was born my sophomore year. No, she was born my mm -hmm. junior year mm -hmm. at Spelman. And we got married before she was born, just to be sure. We weren't total heathens. We have been raised in church. And so that was like a requirement before that baby gets here, you better be married. So we did get married and had Kendi. And so we were super young parents. I tell everybody I had a husband and a baby and I couldn't even drink yet. I wasn't even 21 years old. We were almost kids, really. And when you're in college, you're in this kind of in-between stage of childhood and adulthood. And we hardly knew how to provide for ourselves. So I was doing airport security and we were still going to school full time, which was a struggle. 
We both struggled to finish college. We did. And when we knew in part, not just that we wanted to do it, but we knew like to, to make a life and a living for ourselves that we were going to have to finish school. But it was, it's brutally difficult to do that oh, yeah. with a young family. And when we were doing this in 2001, it was particularly in the college environment where we were, you know, Morehouse and Spelman are super traditional and it was kind of frowned upon in a way to be a young parent and be a student. For sure. Nobody was saying anything overtly necessarily, but we were aware. Now you see videos and things go viral of professors holding babies while they're it was while different their back students then, are trying to concentrate in class. And that was not our experience. Like yeah. me walking around fully nine months pregnant. I, I don't remember anybody else no. who was doing that. Yeah, it was really difficult. It was alienating in some ways. Our lives completely changed. Pretty much at every stage of life. Mm-hmm. And you know, I tell people now, I really can't separate my whole adulthood from being a father. Yeah. And Ray and I have been parents literally almost every year of our adult life. And so our entire journey of even self-discovery in our 20s, of trying to understand what neither one of us grew up in a household where we saw healthy marriages and healthy relationships, kind of had to struggle and sometimes flounder and figure those things out on our own. And one of the things that Ray and I have always tried to tell people is when you grow up, in a lot of ways, when you grow up in a marriage, like we were together as teenagers, together in our 20s and our 30s, now I'm 40, you are with somebody through several phases of life. And we've had to learn some really hard lessons and hard skills on how to support and love your spouse through all the different natural phases that a lot of people just, by the time you marry somebody, they've already gone through some of those phases. We've learned a lot of lessons having been with each other for now almost 25 years, even though we're as young as we are, we're nearing the 25-year point of being together. I think Sean and I are both just extremely stubborn because there have been several points of major tension, major frustration, major growing pain. And we we just both really stubbornly stuck it out. And I think that's actually helped us. But, you know, who Sean is now, who most people know him as, I call it at Sean King, like when he's being at Sean King, that's a very particular person to me. And that's who most people know him as. And there are some elements of that person that have always been present. The person who, you know, when he was student government president at Morehouse and he was taking his like oath of office, he did so wearing a dashiki with a black power fist raised in the air. So there's some parts of that person that have always existed. But I would say like for him and he can talk about my growing pains and the evolutions that he's seen me go through. Sometimes that's easier to do from a window than like a mirror Mm, perspective. mm -hmm. And so I have a window view of him and I've seen him really struggle in his 20s. There was this thing that he this part of his life that was always going to exist, this advocate, this outspoken person, this even controversial person that has always been a part of his life. And and I watched him in his 20s really kind of struggle through what that meant. The struggle was mostly how to channel his passion and advocacy. At first, Sean wanted to be political, and then he wanted to be a pastor and then an entrepreneur. At Morehouse, he was elected student government president. Then he taught history and civics at a high school in Atlanta. 
Next, he started and pastored a church in inner-city Atlanta. Then he started a nonprofit. And it's, oh, maybe not that. I've got really great ideas, but I don't really have the patience for for managing systems and people and stuff in the ways that starting organizations and stuff require. Okay, not going to do that. Oh, I can be a writer. I can be a journalist. I can be a public advocate and activist. And so like watching him go through all those changes now at 40, like I can rattle them off. Oh, he had that phase and he had that phase. Those were really painful transitions. There was a lot of loss experience during those times where, where He is doing what most 20 and early 30 year olds do, trying to find themselves like, oh, I'm a teacher. No, actually, I'm going to do this or I want a completely different career change. I'm going to be an actor like those are normal. Right. But when you have a wife and you have children and we're going through all these different changes with you and some of these changes are happening very publicly You experience a lot of loss, a lot of um, frustration. I feel like now Sean is settling more into himself as a 40-year-old person. Not that it's ever easy and it's like, okay, I've arrived. I don't believe in that. But I think now he has a clearer idea and understanding of his gifts, his strengths, his talents, and how he can use those to really do the things that he cares about doing and advocate for the causes he cares about advocating for. But finding yourself as a 20-year-old with a wife and bills that have to be paid and children that have to be raised. In a lot of ways, our 18 and 20 year old, they grew up with us and they have hilarious stories to tell about all the changes they've seen us go through and all the places they've lived and how they went from eating kid cuisines, frozen meals to now I only serve organic food in the house. And that's a transition that they they laugh about with our second set of kids. You don't know how good you have it compared to how we had it when mom and dad were trying to find themselves. I appreciate even Ray, your thought on it's sometimes easier to reflect on your spouse than it is on yourself because you're watching Mm -hmm. the other person. But so many lessons learned about patience, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So many times we've struggled and had to really had to really determine within ourselves, are we going to stay together? Mm -hmm. And for couples and others who may be listening for us, That's not a decision that you just make one time when you first get married. Mm -hmm. We've had to recommit ourselves to each other, to the marriage, to the relationship, and, and you still do every day. Time for a quick break. Be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.
Sean and Ray are incredibly busy. Since 2014, Sean has found his stride as an outspoken Black Lives Matter activist. Since the death of Michael Brown at the hands of a Ferguson police officer, Sean has used his large Twitter following to amplify stories of marginalized communities. It wasn't so much that I decided to be an activist, but really decided to throw my life into a very kind of particular form of service. I've always tried to use my life to help people in some kind of way. It's a space that sometimes the ground feels like it's moving underneath you. And we're constantly moving from crisis to crisis and case to case. And so for a lot of people who are in this same space, it can be really difficult to find some sure footing. But um, it's had a big impact on our marriage. We, you know, we talk about that on our podcast, Married to the Movement. It's had a big impact on our family in a lot of different ways. But while I don't regret at all the decision to do this work, I'm always mindful that it impacts my family in a lot of practical ways. Since the death of Michael Brown at the hands of a Ferguson police officer, Sean has used his large Twitter following to amplify stories of marginalized communities to try to find some kind of justice. I started receiving death threats soon after Mike Brown was killed. When I started advocating for justice for Michael Brown, even my role and and prominence in that grew And I started seeing death threats and even threats to our family right away. And that was one of the first times that I even understood, even as somebody who studied the civil rights movement and the Black Power movement and and understood that threats came to leaders who did this type of work, it still really took me by surprise that it got so ugly so quickly. That was all the way back in the fall of 2014. For most of the past six years, the threats have been constant and sometimes they're so regular and disturbing that we have to report them. And other times our struggle is just to figure out, are these threats designed just to intimidate us or are these people serious and are we under a real threat of violence? And so. Right, because it it only takes one person, right? I think that for a long time, I wanted Sean to do something, anything other than activism kind of work. We have security outside of our house right now, and they're here 24-7 because of sometimes credible death threats that he receives. And that's stressful, not being able to trust that my kids can freely go to the store or go to the park. Kids in New York have a lot of freedom to kind of move about the city on their own and My kids don't really have that freedom anymore. And it's frustrating for them when they say, oh, can I go to the park? And I have to say, yeah, but security is going with you. And they don't want security following them to the park and sitting there while they play basketball and watching and looking for anyone who might be nefarious. But it's a real part of our lives right now. And it's stressful and expensive as well. And for so long, I wanted anything other than this. I used to say to people, why couldn't Sean just be be a mailman. But I I think I've moved past that now and have just accepted that, okay, this is what our lives are going to be, or at least this is what our lives are for now. We're real people. And as much as we try to block out all the noise and the foolishness and the threats and the he said, she said, and all those things, it can be difficult at times to not let those things get to you and to just throw up your hands and just be like, forget it. It's just not worth it. I think that now probably just in the last year, to be honest, I've gotten to a place where I can support Sean in this work 
and not constantly be wishing for it to be something other than it is. And like I said, that's a new development. That's scary. And and so you have that end of things, but then you have the public criticism, right? The trending topics, the Sean King is a fraud, the Sean King stole from this person and it's so random and it becomes like huge and he has to dress it and say, what are you talking about? I never raised money for this person. Or if I did, here's the lawyer saying that I never had access to it and they got it and that none of it matters. That's the scary part for me. And I think that it's not just something Sean's experiencing, but that we see playing out politically as well is that what is true? truth. There's no such thing as truth anymore. And amidst all the advocacy work and all the threats that come with that, Sean and Ray are trying to raise five children. Sean and I have three biological children. The oldest, our 18-year-old, who we talked about having in college. And we have a, a boy, our only son in there, who is 13, almost 14. He'll be 14 tomorrow, yeah, actually. Yeah. And then our youngest biological child is 11. And then our bookends, our very oldest child is came to us by way of adoption. She is my sister's child, and we have had legal custody of her since she was five years old. She's 20 now. And then the baby, our seven-year-old, same way, my sister's child, who we've raised since, since the day she was born, really. So that's how we came to have five children. Ray and I have always had that type of family. Like we've cared for other nieces and nephews as well that have lived with us throughout our marriage. And so that's always the type of home that we've wanted to have where we were able to to even care for our extended family in that way. Really strong ethic, I would say, of the Black community as well. This idea of caring for children that are not your biological children, but are a part of your extended family. I see these conversations a lot when it comes to adoption and the fact that there are Black children are more likely to be in the foster care system and, and up for adoption. And it's not because Black people don't adopt. It's because in our communities, a lot of times we're we're already caring for children who would be in the foster care system if it weren't for the fact that we've taken them into our home. And so whether it's grandchildren or nieces or nephews or anything like that, for Sean and I, it was never an option for our kids, my sister's children, to go anywhere but to uh, a family member. It was never a point where I had to come to Sean and try to convince him. It's just, yeah, of course, they're coming to, to live with us. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today 
I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. No matter how necessary and how rewarding the work of advocacy and activism can be, it's also emotionally and psychologically grueling. So I asked Sean and Ray how they take care of each other through that. I don't know that we do a very good job with that. I don't know well, what you say, Sean. It's hard. First off, the the work is hard. Our lives are hard. And, and, and at the end of each day, when Ray and I are finally in the room and able to unplug some, we will both often remark of just how hard and difficult the day was, how much we carried and worked through the day. We both find ourselves remarking on what a hard time our country is having right now, just how grueling and exhausting this country is in general on 10 different levels. There's some things that I do to to help me. And at the end of the night, I try to put my phone on airplane mode because I know that people will call me and text me and email me. And sometimes it could legitimately be urgent for them. But I'm fully aware that if I don't get some rest at the end of the day, that I'll be no good the next day. And so little things that I do to try to give myself some some type of boundaries and and some type of space. We try to have dinner together as a family every night. Sometimes that's easier said than done, but it's a practice that we've had for years and years that at the end of the night, we try to all come together and eat together. We try, Ray and I both try to encourage each other if we see the other is down or if something has gotten to them over the course of the day, we try to encourage one another. But we always are also honest when people ask us like, hey, how do you balance all of this? And that's even some of Ray's first response was just that we're not sure that we do. It's hard and and, and we're not doing a perfect job. And some days I feel like we nail it and other days feels like we've been nailed. Listen, this was a common complaint of mine. I was like, we don't have any shared hobbies. We don't have anything in common anymore. And I still think that's probably true, right? I like to read novels. He doesn't. He's into sports. I'm not. Like, why does our marriage work? Some couples like, oh, we ride motorcycles together or I don't know, stuff like we don't have that. But it works. We're like, maybe we're both individually happy. And so it's easier for us to just be happier as a couple. I don't know what you think. We do like having good conversation and we like being in each other's presence. But I do think the root of our marriage today, the answer to that would probably be different every year. Mm. If you asked me last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I might say something very different. But I do think the root of it is that we are both Uh, fulfilled in what we're doing Mm -hmm. uh, with our lives. And because we're content people, I I wouldn't like there are days where we're I wouldn't say happy. Like I'm not even talking about our marriage. We live in a time in our country where it's hard to just be happy or giddy every day. (laughs) But we're both content with with our life and our work. And so we don't bring that frustration to the table where we're so disgruntled over what we do that it bleeds over into our marriage. 
Yeah, except for the fact that a lot of Sean's life is lived online, publicly telling stories, rallying folks to a particular cause. We are living the same struggles as every parent right now, trying to balance working with a romper room of children upstairs. We've had to end staff meetings early and pause them to break up fights, like literal (laughs) fights between our kids. We've had to negotiate time and space because Sean does some recording. He has a recording studio, but he tends to use that as a reason why he needs to take all of his calls in his studio. Uh, Meanwhile, I got to find random holes in the wall in the house to try to take my calls. And hilariously, yesterday, I think it was the day before yesterday, yesterday, we switched places and I said, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to be in the office and in the studio. I'm going to take all my calls there and you have to work upstairs. And all I heard was yelling and fussing and cussing and crying. And and that shit was terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. Yeah. And I was like, welcome to my world, dude. Like, you get to sequester yourself in a room all day long. And meanwhile, I'm up here begging people, just give me five minutes to take this call. I'll be right back. My internet's not working. Be quiet. Grab the dog. I'm apologizing to everybody I'm on my Zoom calls with for being unprofessional. Our story is not like the stories of most parents right now. And my story is not like, unlike most moms who find themselves shouldering the majority of this burden we did before the pandemic. But I think it's been made so glaringly obvious now how unbalanced it is when moms are expected to figure it out. I still have doctor's appointments that have to be made and school schedules and extracurricular activities to be paid for. And none of that stopped because the world has been shut down. And as most moms, I'm carrying the majority of the responsibility for that. I'm hoping that this time will serve as a time where we can work you know, as an entire household to find a better uh, balance of those responsibilities. And again, this is everybody's struggle right now. I often struggle because there have been times where Ray and my mother and even sometimes some of our children have really preferred for me to do something that is not only dangerous for myself, but brings a lot of attention and, and danger to the family. And so I I often even struggle with my own feelings about that. And and there are there are times and and I've said this publicly where the work is so hard that I do consider for myself. Is there a, a path or a way where I could completely shape shift what I do for a living? And there may be a time where I do that. There's a part of me that feels like the the work that I do now is right and this is the time to be doing it. But I feel a real sense of guilt some days because of the the cost and consequences of the work. So it, it it's challenging. I hope that there will be a time in my life where I'm doing something that doesn't put the family in harm's way. I don't want this to be every day for the rest of my life. Like I'm not looking for an exit plan now, but I I don't want that to be the way things are forever and ever. So I, I don't know what that means for what's next, but I'm open to it.
now that we're both extremely busy working professionals and parents with so many responsibilities, our struggles are different, but the lessons that we learned across the years are still valuable. And we just find ourselves still struggling for time for each other. Um, yeah, Sean tried to, he suggested we go out on a date yesterday and I just, I couldn't put myself away from the work. And I was like, what if our date looks like us just sitting in the bed together, both working side by side? How about that? And that's a hilarious thing because years ago it would have been me being like, why don't you ever make time for me? Yada, yada, yada. When I was a stay-at-home mom and had a little more time. And now that I'm doing all these things and my life has changed in so many ways, Sean's like, you going to let me take you out to dinner or what? (laughs) (laughs) We're both foodies. Right. We both love a good meal, which even that's harder during the pandemic. Like our favorite restaurants and stuff aren't open. And that used to be a way where we would really be able to guarantee that we were going to. Yeah, New York is tricky right now. A lot of the things that Ray and I did in New York that brought us joy are closed from Broadway shows and musicals to restaurants. Yeah. New York is having a hard time. We know it'll recover, but it's definitely a tricky time. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza, with special thanks to Ray and Sean King. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com that's j-o at committedpodcast.com you can grab a copy of joe's book how to be married on amazon or wherever books are sold committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in atlanta georgia for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows hey guys joe here This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.